Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello, and welcome to Core Truth. Mark Follett here with Rudy Eckhart. And today we'd like to continue our um, discussion over the last few episodes about relationships. Specifically today, we're going to talk about non-relationships. So a few different a few different parts of that. People who are essentially single uh, have maybe had always had trouble finding relationships from when they were young, or people who have had a lot of negative experiences through their relationships and therefore decide not to enter into them because they they can't find something to break that pattern. Uh, there's a few different ways we're going to look at this, and we might not get it all done in one episode, but we're going to start uh, today in talking about people who have trouble getting into relationships, because I think we've spoken quite a lot about people who who are in relationships and have problems with them, but this is about people who have, have basically are lonely or they're outside of relationships and they'd like to be able to find a partner that they can connect with. Um, Rudy, I know you've uh, we've worked with a lot of people, obviously, who are in this, this category, so I'm sure you've got a wealth of knowledge on, uh, on what makes them tick and what some of their issues and problems are. Yeah, there are always people um, that find it extremely difficult to get into a relationship and live very lonely lives, which is, of course, um, not a recipe for happiness and for self-satisfaction and it probably plays out in other parts of their life as well. So the reasons why somebody can't get into a relationship is often much broader than the relationships itself. Um, these people often, I'm not saying always, but often have difficulty having friendships, have difficulty um, having intimacy, at, not intimacy, intimacy in relationships, but forming close bonds in a work environment. Um, there's a tendency towards uh, being disconnected and being disassociated and struggling to make connections. Um, and as you say, that's that's not necessarily just in relationships, but it, it's in all walks of life that they uh, find themselves they find in. themselves in. So they're lonely, not just in relationships, but in all aspects potentially. Often in all all aspects, mm-hmm. and it. I can start by simply explaining the origin of this and the reasons for this, um, but it may be worthwhile just to mention how difficult that sort of existence is. Mm. I can imagine too that some of these people have superficial relationships, people they call their mates, but they don't really have a a meaningful uh, connection with these with with people who they would call their friends or their mates, and, and they're actually lonely, even though they appear to have lots of associates and friends and people around them. They're not actually connected with them. Yeah, this can also be the case. Mm. Yeah, that they find some level of um, commonality, if you like, between themselves and other people, and they can associate on that level but there is no real true intimate and close friendship uh, or relationship that um, becomes like a 
permanent part of their life or even in temporary, like maybe two or three year relationship. Um, the origin is obviously the person themselves, uh, not the environment, although to them it may well feel as if it is the environment. It comes down to feeling and believing that you're unacceptable, that you don't fit in, that you don't belong, and that you're not wanted. Those are the um, feelings that they have, and they will see themselves as misfits in terms of every environment they find themselves in, um, which then, in their case, uh, they react to what they feel by withdrawing themselves. So it's a passive reaction, if you like. Mm -hmm. They withdraw themselves, they disconnect, um, and they create their own loneliness without uh, necessarily intending to do so. Yeah, obviously that's something that um, no one would intend to do in their lives. Yeah, so this is really no exception to what we've talked about before on the show where we create our own reality and our own experiences. And if we are having a negative experience, it's as a result of fear and it is a result of our own fears. So if we're having the experience, it's a result of our own fears. This is just another example of that. It's, it, there's no exception to that rule, really. No. Now, once you, once you have acquired the belief that you're unacceptable, unwanted, not good enough, unlovable, insignificant, worthless, if you go down that list, you expect that others will see you that way because you see yourself that way. And, of course, you cannot imagine that others can see you any differently to what you see yourself. It's who you believe that you are. Like. You believe that you are this insignificant person. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in some individuals, that this can result in them trying to actively and aggressively prove to the world that they are somebody, that they do matter, that they are significant, that they have more to offer than what any body might think is possible. They become very egocentric, right? And these are the people that um, act and behave as if they expect to be accepted, they expect to be loved, they expect to be wanted, they expect others to believe that they are significant, and it becomes almost a demand or an expectation of their relationship with others in the world. Are they still lonely, though? They can still, and they probably, it's unlikely, in all likelihood, will have relationships that fail. Mm. So they, they will engage in relationships, but those relationships are not likely to last. Mm. Or if they do last, they're not happy ones. Mm. And so there's a whole number of reasons for that. The person we are originally referring to is the kind of person that is passive and withdraws and disconnects because they expect that nobody will want them, love them, accept them. They believe in their own significance and worthlessness and therefore act and behave according to what they believe, which makes then other people believe that they are as well in a certain way, uh, even though others may not see themselves in a place of judgment or criticism, uh, they will automatically respond to giving these people not much or not much credit. Uh, it, it could even be more practical than that. If, if someone is interested in, in sparking up a just a friendship and 
calls them on the phone a few times or leave them a few messages and, and they never get back to them because they think, oh, that person's probably, you know, doesn't really want to be my friend, then obviously the person's going to give up on on trying to and they're going to go yeah. move on and find other people to be friends with. And, and that's that's becomes as practical as that, doesn't it? Well, self, self-deprecation is, of course, part of this. Mm. Uh, being very negative, very hard on yourself, very critical, very judgmental. Also, um, feeling sorry for yourself can be part of that. And then uh, when you sense that others want to include you in something, you could even think to yourself, are they just feeling sorry for me? They think I'm pathetic and therefore I'm going to say no because I don't want to feel as if I'm being dealt with, as if I'm a victim or a pathetic person. Mm. And so that can even be another reason to exclude yourself. So there's no end of reasons that you will give yourself to exclude yourself. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a very lonely life and it's a very lonely existence. But it does bring up something really and truly significant which covers all fears and all insecurities. And something we may not have addressed really too fully or only um, in a very light way. Um, And that is that to become the kind of person that feels and believes that way, that they are that way in the world, that they are insignificant versus insignificant, usually comes from a place of being unwanted. So the first experience... In their family situation. When they're born, Mm. right, for reasons which can be many, right, uh, they have the experience of being unwanted, being insignificant, being worthless, being forgotten, being dismissed, being invalidated, um, not being loved, um, not being praised, never being considered, um, feeling that they're in the way and in position... Uh, from the very beginning of their life and their particular state of mind with which they're born, they may happen to be very and extremely sensitive to this kind of experience. Um, They internalize this as being about them. In other words, if the parent displays behavior towards them, which is interpreted by them as being a rejection, as being a dismissal, as telling them you're not wanted, you're in the way, you're a nuisance, a burden, you're unacceptable. It could be as simple as I'm too busy for you. Well, that could well be the case, but of course it has to be consistent and continuous. Yeah, always always too busy. So it's not, a, a father may be running a business and the mother may be involved in that business and they sideline the children because the business is more important because even in a, if you want to give it a positive spin, in their head, they're doing this for the children. Mm. They're making all this money for the children to give their children a great education or whatever story the parents may bring up. Often it can be that parents come out of a poverty place themselves and see the importance of money being much greater than what they could be giving their children and their children are missing out on. So by making income and money so important, they in fact neglect their children and is you could talk about the methodologies of, of parenting but the reality is is that people that have that sort of attitude will put their ch- children last and money job business income 
first. Mm. And so they will be in a business that demands their attention, that controls their life, that makes them long work long hours, and the children are basically left to their own devices. And this is not as extreme as it sounds. This often can happen when the children are quite young. Mm. But there's also, of course, mothers who cannot cope, fathers who want to disconnect from the family and are reluctant to take on the responsibility emotionally, materially, mentally and physically for a family because they feel restricted and confined by that. A mother may have, uh, may have chosen to have children but now finds her career is interrupted and she feels emotionally unfulfilled and she has derived her sense of significance, sense of self-confidence out of her job and now she doesn't have to have a job and now she's just a mother, yeah. right? As they say that, <laughs> I am just a mother, I'm just a housewife, as if it is something totally inferior to do and therefore see the children as the cause and the reason for this limitation. Yeah, one thing that is one of my extreme dislikes is um, is a heavy reliance upon childcare and early in a child's life. And I think mm-hmm. what you're talking about there is is relatively common in my my sphere of of people that I work with is that there's there's people that have children because they're getting on a bit and they're in a particular way in their career that and they think oh I'm thirty I'm thirty five now I better have kids. So they have kids and then stick them in the daycare all the day and they and they again they they're justifying that in that they're they're working hard, they're getting significance in their in their job, and they're providing for their their new family. But they're actually you're not seeing the significance of the actual being a parent in that. And the child is is almost like an orphan. You you only get to see the parents on the weekend, and yeah, you know, I, I think there's there's some there's some dangers in that, depending on how how much connection there is between the parents and the child when they do spend time together. Yeah. And of course, when a mother is busy working all day, there's lots of stuff to be done around the house. And the logic of it is, really, that being around your child is not being with your child. Yeah, that's the key aspect. And and a lot of people think that because they're home with their children, that they're actually being with their children. And the reality is it's not the case. Mm. Um, Being around your children is just what it says. You're being around your children but as long as you're not involved and not engaged and not um, present emotionally for them, 100% part of your day, then they will feel neglected. They will feel unimportant. They will feel insignificant. And so it makes them needy. This is an interesting part. Now we're talking about child rearing and yeah, yeah, I think but, we'll, we'll, we're going to follow... But it is necessary follow. to talk about this. It is yeah. necessary because... I think we'll follow this person through their journey through young adulthood and ex- once we get past this. Exactly. So the child that becomes needy for attention, becomes needy for affection, becomes needy to be loved, becomes needy to be noticed and starts behaving in a way to get that attention because it can't articulate reason out in its mind the reason for its own feelings is that more the aggressive side as you said before not necessarily the, the, the child can be whingy can be the, complaining but the other alternative might be they just withdraw well that is that's the whingy like, complaining the... child there's the child that goes into depression there's a child that becomes very uh interventionist in the sense that it becomes tries to draw attention to itself by maybe breaking things writing on the wall uh disobeying um, 
being obstinate, stubborn, mm-hmm. right? Very, very Willful, will as yeah. they used to call that in Victorian <laughs> days. Um, that sort of behavior is uh, attention getting, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, <laughs> it's funny enough. Uh, the terminology that psychology uses is attention deficit disorder, mm-hmm. right? But really, the attention deficit comes from the parents. It's probably an, they, it's they probably give an a term, yeah. Yeah, the deficit the attention thing should be applied to the parent because more than likely, the reason for the child's behavior and disconnection and inability to focus on things comes from the fact that the parents never paid enough attention to it. And the fact that they spend all of their time trying to get attention from their parents yeah. and not focusing on other things. You know, there's a sort of culture that don't blame the parents, you know. Mm. But unfortunately, if everybody's creating their own reality, the responsibility has to lie with the parents and can't lie anywhere else. Yeah. And so whether, whether conventional psychology wants to um, hold the parents responsible or not, in the work that I do, the parent is responsible. The, yeah. Of course, nobody else can be. You can't expect a five, six, seven-year-old child to have that kind of responsibility for its own life. That's why we have parents, and that's why parents are supposed to be teaching their children. But, of course, when that person grows up, it becomes their issues and their responsibility to resolve so they don't cause that same issue for their children. Like, as, as a seven-year-old, you don't have responsibility. But no, sure. But once, if you're, once you, once you become course. the age of... 30 and you you have children of your own and it becomes your responsibility yeah but then it's already too late really because by that time you should have dealt with yourself before you had kids because by that time you're acting out your your stuff in the same way your parents did yeah right and will have a similar effect on your Mm. children certainly the earlier the better like obviously okay just 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 let me go back right because it's not just about earlier the better it's it's more than that it's about if you are denied attention, you need attention. If you are denied to get what you want, then you will focus later in your life to get what you want. Mm-hmm. If you feel insignificant and worthless and you want to, and you, um, uh, what do you call that? You want to feel significant and special, then your focus will be on that. So what I'm trying to say is this, is that the parents need, original need, to make it all about them and not about children, right? Creates children who learn that it's never about them and therefore when they grow up, they make it all about them and they become just about the parent, just like the parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they emulate the parent. Yes. And so when they have children... It's all about them and not about their children. And then their children, again, will think it's never about them and the only way it's ever going to be about them is if they make it about them. Mm -hmm. And so you keep creating this selfishness, if you want to call it that, right, from generation to generation by by having parents who act this way. So parents that feel denied create denied children because they become selfish by the fact that they feel denied, Mm. right? And then their children become selfish because they felt the night. And so the whole process continues, which I've, we've called earlier on. We talked about this and we call it um, emotional genetics. Genetics, yes, of course. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so that plays out. <clears throat> so we were, we were going to, I guess where we started the topic was we were talking about the 
the children who are a product of this cycle that you're talking well, about. Well, this is not this particular cycle. We talk about a cycle in which kids um, are raised by parents who are unable to give love, give attention, give acknowledgement, validation because of their own issues, which some of which may and will include some of the things we've talked about. Mm. Right. So it's, it's a bit broader than yeah. just talking about that specific issue with that specific type of parent. Um, so these children then grow up and they become adolescents and they start looking at having relationships with people of the opposite sex or having mm-hmm. having, having partners. I mean, there's a huge difference. I mean, remembering back to my high school gut days, there is a huge difference in terms of how people believe themselves to be and therefore how successful they are at forming, you know, relationships at a, at a young age it really as an adolescent you're testing out you're testing out the relationships mm. market in a very sort of safe environment I suppose before you go on let's say the open market when you become you know you finish school and you, in your 20s and you, you're out on the relationships market I mean people no, like, but, but, but what you do at school is you you bond with people with kids that already share a very similar um mindset to your own mm. and that's why you get these these groupings in in, in the class mm. right you get the so-called cool kids and the nerds and the you know and then there's always the loners the misfits who, yeah the misfits <laughs> so so you yeah. then get excluded and picked on by various groups because they can and and, the, and these are the people then if we follow back to where we started these misfits, these people that don't fit in, are the ones that become lonely and have trouble getting getting into relationships. Is that was that where we're following through this this story of this? Well, person? yeah, the, the the people that have well, you say when people are misfits, now it you you got to understand something that that kind of like labeling it that way is not really um, nobody's in the true sense a misfit. It's what you believe yourself to be, mm. right? Because we're all unique in this. It's your inner identity, yeah. right? That that determines how you will behave, mm-hmm. right? People who are in a group and see a loner say he's a misfit; he doesn't fit anywhere. So it's a judgment made by other people, right? Um, he doesn't believe he doesn't fit in because he feels unlovable, unwanted. He expects no one to to want to be with him to spend time because that's. That's what he's learned from his parents through the parents' relationship. If you want to take this to an extreme, right, and this is often the best way to understand something, somebody who has been um, adopted out, right, and is then an orphan mm-hmm. and knows that they've been a, knows they're an orphan from the beginning of their life, they already have the notion that their parents didn't bump them and it is not, you know, don't think that every parent that takes on an orphan is the perfect parent because they take on an orphan. They're still the same people and probably with a few more problems that become parents if they have their own children. Mm. Do you understand? that The personality doesn't change. They don't all of a sudden become people without issues because they take an orphan mm-hmm. into the house, right? So often, for instance, in that case, these are women who couldn't have children. They're often women who 
who want to have a child and for the reasons to do with the husband or the wife, um, they cannot have children and so they choose to have, you know, choose a child out of an orphanage and often very young. Um, they still play out all the issues and problems. But of course, there's also the notion and uh, the idea for the child that these people are doing this because um, they are being charitable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then the child has the notion that not only is she with people that are not really her parents, but these people are sacrificing themselves for her or him. And in that way, she has a guilt issue around everything. And so she cannot really be truly herself in the presence of these people if they play out their issues with her and she cannot challenge that or conflict with that or um, um, disagree or oppose that in any way because of the guilt issues that she has and therefore has to suppress her real thoughts, feelings and emotions and in intentions in order to con to have that relationship. Well, it's about conditional love again, isn't it? Really? It becomes conditional it becomes, through all of this. Yeah. Do you understand? Mm. It becomes very conditional through all of this. And the people, of course, with the best of intentions, don't realize what they're doing mm. and often try with the best of intentions to create something that will never be what, what, they um, intended to be. what original parents could, mm. could deliver were they positive original parents, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, besides the fact that uh, women who can't have children, usually by the time they have... Um, a child in their life, either through adoption or through maybe through artificial insemination or something like that, that the expectations of what that child will be to them is enormous. Mm. Is enormous because they often expect that child to fulfill their life, mm -hmm. to make them feel amazing as a mother. Do, do you know what I to mean? Fill a, to fill a huge to fill hole. To fulfill something in them yeah. that they believe a child will fulfill in them. And, of course, this can never be the case. This is an unrealistic expectation which is then put on the child. Because no one else can fill that hole. If, if, if but themselves. A, but themselves, the yeah. child, The child is there to receive. Mm. But they take the child into their life to get from the child something. Mm -hmm. That may not be obvious to them, but that's what actually happens. Well, because think, of the expectations they have of what a child will be for them. I think some, some people are aware they have children because they have a lack of love in their life and they want to have children because the children will love them unconditionally, right? Yeah, it's that's like, what children like, do. It's like getting a pet yeah. and saying, oh, I'm going to get a dog because the dog loves me no matter how I am. And Yeah, but I think... It's, it's, true, it's true of a dog, but it's not true of a, of a, of a child. They, they need to, to feel the love. That's what their, their expectation is when they come to the world, so... Well, a child comes into the world to be loved and to have its expectation to be loved unconditionally met in order for it to love itself unconditionally. So a child needs to feel that it's unconditionally acceptable mm. as it is. And the moment that parents make the child feel through their behavior, fears and insecurities, that it is not acceptable, that it's not lovable, uh, and they put conditions on the way they will accept and love the child, then the child will develop fear-based beliefs, mm. which will then control who it is within itself, and therefore, as a consequence, control its feelings, its thoughts, its perception, its understanding, 
how it will interact with the world. It will cause it to create strategic behaviors that will all be part of its life, of its expression in life and how it will conduct its relationship with the world and others. Mm. And that will be then responsible for its life experience. And of course, coming from fear, it will never be a positive experience. So these these people that are that believe themselves to be insignificant, um, other people then see them as misfits um, because they believe themselves to not be able to fit in with with other people. I think we we went last week to the point where that that belief that fear actually becomes extreme. And I want to probably at the risk of getting slightly off topic, uh, I'm just going to bring up a couple of points about where that where that type of negative. Uh, or where those negative beliefs actually take a person. And I was thinking about, in particular, these people who at school are quiet loners, they're picked on, um, and they become mm. someone that attacks the school with a with a gun. Bec- you, know, you hear about these things in America all the time where someone is basically introverted to an extreme and then they do something, and it could be jumping off a bridge or pretending or trying to get, gain attention by standing on the edge of a bridge like you're going to jump and gain a lot of attention. But essentially, it's almost like that pent-up um, belief just boils over and becomes something violent where the person has a does something so extreme that they gain a huge amount of attention for themselves. Is, I think that's the, that's the violent end of the same personality. Is that – am I right there? Well, violent. I mean, nobody I – I don't think any of these kids – start out being violent children. That's why often everybody says, I would, I'd understand, he was such a nice kid, he yeah. was this, he was that or the other, Quiet right? So, and, so and, yeah. yeah. So, so obviously they are not fundamentally violent and abusive children. But I think what the way you, to best understand it, and I have actually never worked with someone who has been uh, through that experience, right? So I'm I'm going and I'm surmising um, what I know and extending it into... Uh, so it's my opinion I'm giving here, okay? Um, is that particularly when people see themselves in early childhood and at school as a victim of others, right? Because let's be fair, um, there is a... Uh, there's a duality here, and I, I, I think to really understand what goes on, I think we need to understand the duality. The kids that pick on him have this, have similar fear-based beliefs as he has mm-hmm. or she has. Yeah, we have spoken about that before right. with the okay. bullying discussion. So, so, so the, those um, children who try to show and prove to everybody that they are significant, that they're better than others, that they have power, that they're in control only can do this safely by picking on someone who is powerless, helpless, and by himself or herself. And so the fact that that loner, if you like, that individual child who that can't connect, then begins to see him or herself as a victim is a fairly understandable scenario. Mm -hmm. All right? So then it makes a child feel extremely powerless. It will see himself as a victim, first of all, of the direct experiences that he has in home, at home, then at school, uh, 
and then starts to, due to its own perception, which is distorted by its belief that it is all these negative things, right? Through its perception, it starts to gather evidence of the truth about this. So, one should believe you are... Which is not the truth. Well, it is the truth for him The truth for that person, but it's not... It's, it's, it's not necessarily the truth as we may really say see it, but it's not the truth as the public sees it either. So don't get me wrong, or as the media sees it, all mm. right? Mm. The media sees it in a completely different way, mm. and that's worthy of discussing that as well maybe now or later. But, but the media would see the whole act and the activity in a very different light, mm. Mm. all right? Because once he goes into into killing people, then he's the aggressor, everybody else is the victim, mm. all right? Now, he's never seen as the victim once he's committed the act, mm. right? Um, so his perception, in his perception, every experience he has, he will likely turn himself as the victim of that experience and make others the aggressors. So as he builds up more and more evidence, if you like, justifications and reasons why this is happening to him, there can be, I'm not saying there always will be, so much anger in him that he will want to do something about it. And he's basically, how does a single person go into combat with the world, if you like? Mm. Right? How does a single person satisfy his anger for his abuse, for his victimization, um, once his mind becomes so distorted that he sees everybody, the system, the teachers, authority, the police, um, other kids, as being responsible for the way he feels, because he cannot see within himself that he is the creator of his own reality, mm. no more than the kid that bullied him did. So don't think they're any smarter. Mm-hmm. They're not. No. no more than the media does. No more than the teachers do. I think, so, I think the difference is the bullies are uh, acting through behaviours that essentially are expressive, whereas the, the, the kid that we're talking about who basically is a shut-in and, and shuts everybody out suppresses everything to the point where it explodes. Whereas yeah, I guess, but, I guess no, the bully... Expressive, expressive in the sense that they give expression to their fears and insecurities yes. by going into a strategic behavior that gives them power and control and, that's and makes I, them feel significant and special. But because they're doing that on a regular basis, there's, it's not building up to explode like a volcano, like it would... Well, well we, we don't see it as a problem. For starters, we don't see, we don't recognize the egocentric behavior of a child when it is supposedly channeled the right way, right, as being a problem, Mm, mm. right? So the kid that wants to be superior to everybody else is um, covertly abusive, right, and um, abuses other kids in the process, right? We then write that off as that's the way boys are, that's the way girls are Mm. at that age, (laughs) right? We think it even as being normal, right? And we don't address it, we don't confront it, we don't deal with it. And, you know, that kid that was abused, well, he just needs to learn to be tough and stand up for himself. Mm. Okay? When he does, to the extreme, he's a murderer by then. That's right. Right? Because we don't recognize that he's a problem. And so 
Um, that person, and we're going back to a loner who, to, who is a loner to the extreme and has extreme perceptions about his loneliness and a lot of anger, of course, which is while truly he radicalizes himself from within, if you like, due to the fact that he's very angry about being powerless in life, powerless to make others accept him, want him, love him, and trust and believe in him. Um, when he radicalized himself to the point where he can justify the violence, it becomes a justification. It doesn't matter anymore because by that time, it doesn't matter to him in his mind because nobody else cares whether he exists or not, whether he's alive or not, whether he's dead or not, or what even happens to him. Because in his own personal experience, already the worst things are happening to him. Mm -hmm. Do you and, understand? And, and everyone is against him. That's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. And so what reason does he have for existing? What reason does he have to be in the world? So, so his, his inner radicalization due to the perception that he has creates the justification for the act. And, you know, it, it is not, it, it, these people often, they, it's not just a momentary thing where he gets angry, grabs a gun and starts shooting. It's planned. Mm. But also, you know, they, they, they regurgitate and think and think and think and plan this, get guns, get ammo, weapon themselves up and walk through a school and methodically start shooting people. Mm. They might even do gun range training before they go, mm. just to make sure that they can kill. It becomes all very, very strategized. Yeah. Right? But it is just, unfortunately, is one way to look at it, is like it is a strategic behavior to An get extreme, attention. Yeah, it's extreme. Extreme strategic behavior. And I guess that's why I wanted to go there, is that I think we're talking about the fact that um, these particular family relationships can be, at the extreme end, very destructive when when fears and insecurities turn into violence. Yeah, but you see, the, the actual environment he comes from may not look extreme at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. It could be it's the same... It's his experience of the extremity. It's the same. It's probably the same environment that we're discussing in the relationships topic, which is where we started, um, in that it's someone that who, who is a loner. So we might, we might go back to that, um, <clears throat> unless you've got more to say there, and talk about, okay, so if that person is picked on and bullied and victimized and they are essentially believe themselves to be disconnected from others and to be different mm -hmm. uh, and, and un, unworthy of others' attention. Let's say they don't go to that extreme and they kill people. Well, it's not what happens generally. It's not what happens generally, no. right? So no. let's talk about a person then that is, in, is, that is like that, that grows up, that is trying to find love. It's trying to find a significant other, a relationship with a – find a wife or a husband or right. a partner. So now we talk about people that we label shy, withdrawn, mm. disconnected, um, don't have good social skills. Um, Very introverted people. We call them introvert because they're withdrawn. Yeah. Right? Um, we often think that that is a personality characteristic, mm. unfortunately, and we think he is just like that without actually realizing that his belief systems, in other words, who, who he believes himself to be due to the childhood that he had, right, um, can actually be changed. He can actually think differently of himself and by having different beliefs, by first of all letting go of those beliefs that are um, placing those 
emotional restrictions on, on his mind, mm-hmm. okay, on, and on his behavior, and on his thinking, and on his feelings, right? So once these beliefs that he's unwanted, unacceptable, not good enough, inferior, and so on, right, unattractive, undesirable, right, uh, particularly with girls, it goes to not being attractive enough, beautiful enough, etc., etc. And it doesn't really matter what she looks like, by the way. She could be a very pretty girl, mm. but she will not see that, right? Because her beliefs stop her from seeing that, which then makes it in the eyes of other tot- of others totally illogical. There's this beautiful girl that every man looks at, but she is totally withdrawn and shy, right? And 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 can't connect, and is lonely, mm. right? Um, because we don't recognize what drives this state of mind, uh, the solutions are not forthcoming, right? And the solutions are relatively, well, from my perspective and my work, simple, mm-hmm. right? So you start dealing with the fear and insecurity that they are unlovable, unacceptable, unwanted, undesirable, and so on. Too different and unusual and strange. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever they put a label on themselves, Mm, right? mm. And you need to explore all of those avenues and deal with the belief systems by helping them release them in order for them to change. Because in the absence of that belief, in the absence of the belief that you're unlovable, there's only one place to go, which is to love yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to put a proviso quickly on this because love is the central core of all our issues in the sense that the absence of love and acceptance and trust is the core of all of our issues. And the conditions so, upon which... Which, which, yeah, which are then created, which create that fear. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, so, so when love becomes conditional, we go into the fear of not meeting those conditions and that is the emotional fears that we live with day by day, mm. in our relationships, in work, in life, in friendships, and whatever, and with, it, with ourselves. So the absence of a fear, fear-based belief system, can radically change somebody into a very different individual. In the absence of those negative beliefs, right, uh, the positive self comes to the surface, the authentic self comes to the surface, and surprisingly, all of a sudden, they are noticed um, they develop communication confidence with the opposite sex. They, um, they are found to be attractive. They are found to be desirable. And they have the most amazing experience then of being um, um, all of a sudden capable of conducting a relationship and having love in their life. Um, I can actually put myself in this category because everything I've spoken about actually relates directly back to me and my childhood experience. My, my uh, realization that being very different to everybody else was not a liability, but was actually a positive thing. Uh, it didn't come until my early 30s. That might sound very late. I didn't start doing this work until I was 44. So there was still another 11 years of personal development, self-development, um, in a whole many different ways before I could actually um, um, talk about stuff the way I do today, right? I think you've said before, you know, basically the self-change begins with self-awareness. So obviously the length of time it takes depends on whether 
someone like yourself and your in your practice and and the core belief therapy methodology is involved but as you said you did it over a number of years but it all starts with that initial awareness doesn't it um did, did you can't you can't change without an awareness uh of, of the fact that you create your own experiences and reality yeah that's both true and frustrating <laughs> and i'll tell you why that is so because i live with that frustration myself is that the first the first part of understanding yourself is becoming aware of who you are and trying to become aware of the reasons and causes for that um, and taking responsibility for it. So once you've got that, it's a step forward in the right direction. However, it doesn't constitute change. No. Awareness is not change. And so please don't make that mistake because you're selling yourself short. Mm. Because if you stop at awareness, then you haven't finished the next step, which is to release the belief systems that you're aware of. Probably make you very frustrated, actually. Well, I was very frustrated for, for years, for about, let me roughly give a number on that, probably for around seven years mm. of the 11, where I had a high level of awareness, but I didn't have the means to change. To the point where I actually convinced myself at one stage that that's all one could achieve in life, and a high level of awareness. Mm. And beyond that, there's just, you know, you put up with what you know. The awareness was, I know myself to be this and that. I have to accept it because that's who I am. Mm. And therefore, because it's unchangeable, my awareness um, only helps me to know who I am and know how I act and why. And it didn't go beyond that. So, but, but it makes, meant, you, makes you more frustrated, more unhappy because you. But who wants to live a life of being aware of all your problems, <laughs> and then and having no power to change them? Have no power to change them, and know that you're living every day with those issues, and that the consequences of this, those issues keep reappearing, right? So when I started to work with kinesiology initially, and um, felt that had a potential. And I was really enthusiastic about it. And then after six months to a year, became disappointed in it because I felt it didn't go far enough. Mm. It was a start. It was the next step. Well, for me, it was a start. Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, I respect every kinesiology worker and don't get me wrong. But for me personally, it wasn't enough. It didn't go far enough and deep enough. And uh, without going into the detail how it all happened, I came upon a different way of working, which still needed another five years development before I understood it mm. and before I had the psychological tools to particularly work with it and actually get the results that I get consistently now with every person. Um, so, so we're talking about relationships today. Do, do you find, did you find also in your personal experiences that these, these beliefs that you had that you're talking about um, with regard to being different and not being able to connect with other people, was that borne out in your in your partner relationships that you had up until that point where you, that you're now talking about where you worked out how to make change happen? Well, I, I came out of a divorce um, totally socially inept, okay? I, I got married very young. Uh, I was married for 10 years. And when I came out uh, in my early 30s, uh, out of my divorce, I had actually never really dated and so um, when I started to go out, 
I felt very, very, um, how can I say it, incompetent or incapable or insecure about doing it because I was watching guys who were in their early 20s <clears throat> acting and behaving in a way with girls that I had never, ever um, contemplated or been able to do. Mm. And so uh, I was learning to date in my early 30s. That was actually um, a very new experience for me. But because I was older and because I already had a lot of life experience, right, you tackle these things very differently to what you would if you were a 20-year-old or mm -hmm. an 18-year-old in that way. So I just thought about it quite logically and realized that um, – the little scenario I gave myself is what, what is the worst thing that can happen if I do something? And I did that in the beginning in a lot of ways, right? And when I realized that I could cope with the worst thing that could happen, then I would just do it. Mm -hmm. And that sounds really simple. And I think it works up to a point. It doesn't resolve your issues. No. But at least you're engaging and you're experiencing and you're getting involved. And what I realized, the more I did it, the more confident I became um, with doing it. And I was able to create many relationships that way. Most of them were short, short term, however. And within nine months of being that way, I became dissatisfied with short term relationships. Uh, you may not feel like that when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, but when you're in your 30s, and I think you're aware of stuff, they begin to realize that it's shallow, it has no real uh, value and significance. I mean, there was, there was other things going on that I was attracting a lot of women who uh, needed support and needed counseling. I find myself quite naturally doing this at that time, and I used to joke about it and say, you know, if I could make a living out of this, you know, I could make some money, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I, I would have never dreamt at that time that I would ever be doing what I'm doing now. Mm. But it obviously, already then, there was this natural capacity in me to engage with people and talk about problems and issues. And there was an enormous amount of curiosity on my part, how people were thinking, how their issues were a part of them, even though, um, looking back at it now, it was, it was obviously on a very... Now, would I say it on a, on a learning level, if you like, mm -hmm. for me? The funny thing was that many times I was successful in helping people through difficulties, but it was all due to talking and communication and making them believe in themselves and giving them confidence um, by talking, not the way this work is now, right? Um, so... After that, I uh, engaged in long-term relationships and then a period without any relationships at all. Um, I, um, in, the, in the period that I was uh, developing um, this process that we're talking about, which is um, working on core beliefs, um, this process, in during that process, I was married part of the time and then also got divorced again. So I'm twice divorced person. Mm. Um, so I didn't have any children in the second marriage. And so the divorce was quite clean, if you like. There was not really a lot of issues. 
with that. It was just a mutual agreement of going our separate ways. Um, and um, from there on in, I spent time again in a few relationships, but I wasn't in the long-term relationship I wanted to be in. Mm. Um, I guess relationships are very important to every human being. Intimate relationship between man and woman satisfies innate needs within us. Um, it is almost like men and women are spiritually and emotionally two halves that belong together. That somehow by being with a woman, you get to meet yourself in a different way. And for her, it must be the same. Mm. Um, it, is, it is not that you necessarily have to live your life as half a person in that sense, or that you cannot live without the other half, but you will find reflection of yourself in your partner, which will assist you in evolving your consciousness mm. if you look so and if you accept the responsibility for it. Yeah, so you're not saying that uh, each person <clears throat> is a half and you add them together to make a whole, you're saying that one plus one equals three. Yeah, that's what I said to you once before. Yeah, yeah, yeah sort yeah. of that, that concept that yeah. you add two things together and get more than you started with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So thanks for sharing your story. I think it's important for people to understand that your concepts in a, in a real-life sense because that's how they can draw that, that conclusion back to their own life. And I think what we're going to do in our next episode is definitely talk about people who are in multiple failed relationships because today we're really talking about people who have trouble making connections with other people and therefore have trouble making relationships but yeah. in the next episode we're going to talk more about what you were just explaining in, in having multiple divorces or having lots of relationships that don't work out yeah um, so we're going to discuss that in the next episode but it'd be good just to uh, just to follow through on some I guess some advice for people who are in the situation where they're having trouble finding a relationship. Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, because you work with a lot of people, I suspect, that are in that situation where they, they, they come to you and say, Rudy, I, 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 can never, I never find the right man or I never find the right woman or I, <laughs> I, I can't find anybody in my life. Yeah. If you're truly in the sort of situation that I described and that I personally know very well, um, you do need help. Unfortunately, um, you do need to deal with the beliefs that you have. The primary thing to remember and the primary thing to convince you of, to convince yourself of, is that whatever you believe negatively about yourself is fundamentally not true. Mm. Every human being, every consciousness that enters this reality and becomes a physical being, right? Is wanted here, belongs here, and is innately and intrinsically lovable, acceptable, and wanted unconditionally. Mm -hmm. So you, your belief that you're not is just a belief. Your, the belief that you're insignificant mm -hmm. is just a belief. And it's not true. It is essentially not true. Mm. We're in the true core nature of our consciousness. This is not a reality. Mm. So... You are being controlled by illusions created by the beliefs that you have. And look, for um, 
even if I'm guilty of promoting my book, I would like you to buy it, particularly if you are in that state of mind, mm. right? And the book is called The Truth of Love and Fear. There will be another book coming out to do um, about relationships, which will be The Truth About Relationships. Um, this book will also take the um, idea or, or the concept of relationships uh, in far more detail, mm. in explanation. So this is going to help people create that first step in before the change comes, which is awareness, right? People reading this material that you tell me, yeah. your, your books will, will help people to understand why they're experiencing what they're experiencing, to, to make a link between the understanding that if they're having a negative experience or an outcome in their life, that it relates back to a fear that they have, that it's not the truth about them, but it's basically an illusion, as you said. Once you start yeah. getting that understanding happening, then you've got an impetus for change. See, many people will think that they're already aware, mm. that they're aware that they're insignificant, that they're aware that they don't matter, that they're aware that nobody wants them. They think that is the awareness, right? Mm. But that awareness is a falsehood. Like what you're aware of is what your beliefs are telling you. But what you also should then accept that you actually are believing that you hold it to be true, mm. what your beliefs are telling you, and that you're not seeing that what you believe is a distortion. Mm. Your awareness needs to go to the point where you can be aware of that distortion. You need to become aware that those beliefs that you hold that make you feel insignificant, worthless, unlovable, unacceptable to others, ugly, unattractive, whatever it may be, that these are illusions, that they are, these things are not real. And the way to get to that awareness is to start thinking, how did I acquire that belief? How did it become a part of me? Start to question and look at your childhood, the first 10 years of your life, even if you have difficulty remembering it. Mm -hmm. Look, your, your parents probably won't have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's unlikely that they have mm -hmm. gone through a lot of changes. So their current behavior will still reflect how they dealt with you when you were a child. Mm. Look at their history. Look at your parents' history. Look at how they grew up, because how they grew up and were parented will be the way they parent you, mm. or parented you, That's the, I should yeah, say. emotional genetic cycle that we've been talking about. Exactly. Yeah. But reading the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, can be an amazing insight into yourself. Mm. It is a philosophy of self-responsibility. <laughs> It's a, it's a philosophy that puts you at the center of your life and in the driving seat of your life because it says you are responsible for creating your reality experience. So the experiences you create in life are created by you and they're created by you through your perception of yourself. And your perception of yourself, again, is determined by who you believe yourself to be. Mm. And that, if it's based in fear, is an illusion without any doubt there is no if or maybe in this. <laughs> I can assure you that it is totally an illusion that you accept as reality. Mm. And your awareness needs to go beyond, beyond. You can't be aware enough. You can't know enough. You can't uh, go deeply enough. There is no deeply enough. Mm. You must need to step completely outside of yourself and look back at yourself from an outsider's perspective and 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 be your own therapist in that regard and look at yourself and say would you know especially in the in the example you gave before about someone who is 
innately beautiful to look at but doesn't believe themselves to be attractive because they how could they possibly be they're not they're not an acceptable person they need to sort of step outside themselves and look back at themselves and say well that, that that's obviously an illusion because i no but you can't see that you can't see it no no no, no. so so in that way it is a bit difficult it's not just about looking at yourself by stepping outside of yourself what needs to happen for a lot of people is like you've got to have a mini me on your shoulder <laughs> a mini me another part of you that you need to create a manifest if you like that questions everything because that mini me uh, might say to you why did you just say that why did you respond that way why did that feeling come up in you mm. Why did you just have that thought? Mm. Why did you uh, withdraw and disconnect? Or why did you have a need to be aggressive? Why did you need to make that point? Why did you um, walk away from that confrontation? Like, why needs to be the most prominent question in your mind about everything? Mm. About everything you do, everything you say, about the way you act... And it might sound crazy, but it's only a temporary mini-me. Because once you start understanding it, you will begin to do it automatically, <laughs> and the mini-me can disappear. But the whole idea is that, first of all, you need to question the reasons, the motivations, through the question of why. Why do I feel this? Why do I act this way? Why am I down on myself? Why do I criticize myself? Why do, I put, why do I put others before myself? Why do I sacrifice my others? Why am I pleasing this person? He never does anything for me. <laughs> why? why am I so afraid that people don't like me? Mm. Why do I, am I so worried that if I say something, somebody will get upset? There's so many whys that you don't ask. You just don't ask. And I guess my... my luck if you want to call it that was I started asking why from a very early age and it made my life difficult in the beginning because I was a child but as an adult you need to ask why because there's a child inside of you that doesn't know why mm. there's a child inside of you which is probably three four five six seven eight years old that doesn't understand why it's being neglected why it's unimportant why it doesn't matter why it's not being loved why it feels unattractive and undesirable. That child needs answers. And it's your responsibility as an, answer, as an adult to provide the answers for that child because that child is you. Mm. By asking the questions. By asking the questions. Why in the moment when it's happening. Mm. You won't have to ask the person, but ask yourself. Mm. Mm. I, love, I, love your, I love your passion and conviction, Rudy. Um, we are going to probably have to leave it there for this episode. I think we've covered some amazing topics and amazing ground today um, on on people who are, feel themselves to be insignificant and alone and, and finished up with a, an amazing insight into what is possible if you start asking the question why. So thank you again for your time. You're very welcome. And thank you to our listeners. Um, please uh, please share with, with people that you know. I think everyone can can learn something out of what uh, what we've got to share on the show. So thank you again. Thank you. 